0: Hello friends and welcome to this episode of the Locked Winnipeg Jets Podcast, part of the Locked Podcast Network, your team every day. I'm your host, Harrison Lee, an avid Winnipeg Jets fan and an online blogger. You can follow me on Twitter at HLivingLoco and at LO underscore Winnipeg Jets. Thank you, dear listeners, for making Locked Jets your first listen of the day every day. If you enjoy what you're hearing, be sure to like, follow, and subscribe on your favorite podcasting platform of choice, including Apple, Spotify, Google, Megaphone, and Odyssey, Doing so ensures you never miss another episode, but most of all, we just love and appreciate your support. On tonight's podcast, there are a couple of topics of importance that I think are are really good for discussion, and some of this I would highly recommend that you check out some of our other um, podcasts from across the Locked On Network. We have a very diverse podcasting group, a lot of different voices and perspectives, and uh, the first issue that we're going to talk about has probably also been done with some other roundtables, Um, so I I would highly recommend exploring the Locked On NHL Podcast Network and checking out many of our affiliate shows because some of the issues that we're going to touch on tonight You know, they are pretty widespread, and I think a lot of folks who have, you know, experienced racism or dealt with racism in their lives, obviously it, you know, it touches all of us in some capacity. I personally, you know, have had experiences with it, unfortunately, but, um, you know, we're going to talk about some incidents that happened in the ECHL and the AHL. After that, I did want to talk about the Jets game over the weekend against the Penguins and some thoughts on that one because it was a pretty wild game and maybe there are some reasons for mild optimism, but also more reasons to consider the Jets, you know, might be sellers more than anything. But first, let's start off with the uh, the incidence of racism. We actually had two back-to-back on consecutive days, which it's pretty bad. The first one we had was uh, San Jose Barracuda's forward Christoph Rabeck was um, essentially imitating a racist gesture towards Boko Imama of the Tucson Roadrunners. If I recall correctly, Imama was actually the subject of a a recent racist taunt a couple of years ago. I I forget who it was. I want to say it was one of the Edmonton players. But this, of course, is completely unacceptable. Rabeck has been suspended for 30 games and has been optioned to take part in, in uh, NHL player inclusion committee thing, which I, I think he honestly just needs to go to you know racial training and sensitivity training. Stuff that you wouldn't think people would need these days, but obviously that's not the case. Hockey, I think, is a much more toxic culture than people really want to admit. And it happens at so many levels. You know, casual racism, casual uh, classism and stuff. All of that kind of feeds into a very elitist group that you know, has has run this sport for years, and it continues to be a cultural issue. It does exist elsewhere outside of hockey. Certainly the NHL, ECHL, AHL, uh, the junior leagues, none of them are particularly unique in this aspect. But, you know, you got to call a spade a spade when you see it, and this is a situation in which it's just simply unacceptable. There's zero tolerance for it. And you could tell how upset everyone was by the situation. Uh, P.K. Subban actually had some reflections on it because one of his brothers, Jordan Subban, was actually a victim of racial taunting just the day after. The Carolina Stingrays were playing against the Jacksonville Icemen, I believe that team is. Used to be the Jets affiliate, I want to say, but I think they relocated at one point. They now rep the Rangers, though, and one of their players, Jacob Panetta, who has now been uh, suspended and, I believe, terminated from the team, was involved in a scrum in which uh, he made what looked to be a, a racial gesture very similar to the one directed at Boko Yamama after Suban had challenged Panetta to a fight. And so, you know, this is a, a second consecutive day, another terrible situation. But what was very interesting was how the two teams involved actually responded. You know, the, the Iceman put out some really terrible statement that frankly didn't accept responsibility for the issue It had some really weird stuff in it, to be honest, and it never really apologized to Jordan. It was, quite frankly, embarrassing. And, you know, they described themselves as a platform. We are sorry for anyone who was offended. And therein, you can immediately see the problem. You know, you you say, we're sorry for anyone who was offended, but you don't actually apologize for what happened. You know, they said, oh, we stand for anti-racism and love and all that stuff. And it's just... It's such hollow words. In fact, when you you, you don't even discuss the the players involved or how Subban was impacted or even apologize for the incident to him, it's just unbelievable. And then you look at the Carolina Stingrays' reaction, and they were appalled. They put out a very strongly worded message. Uh, You could tell on the ice that players from both teams were supporting Subban in a way, because when there was a fight, you know... Jacksonville didn't really step in to defend Panetta. They just sort of let it happen. And, you know, obviously this is a situation in which during fights it's usually one-on-one, but then you had a Stingrays player charge off the bench and tackle Panetta during the whole scrum. And, like, Jacksonville reacted and tried to pull him off, but they didn't really get into a fight. They just sort of allowed everything to sort of uh, progress and occur because... You know, a lot of those guys, they were probably pretty upset once they found out what was going on. P.K. Subban actually had an interview uh, on Sportsnet that I highly recommend you checking out. There's a video version, but there's also a transcript. Whichever version you want to read or watch is, is certainly up to you. Uh, but P.K. had some really good insights into what it's been like as a black player in the NHL and really as, as a black young male growing up um, and how that sort of shaped his experiences. And And, you know, ultimately... The thing that he ultimately came to the conclusion was you just have to sort of move forward. I mean, this is one of those situations in which time and time again, you're going to be faced with this. But all Subban and his family could ever do was fight against the current and keep moving. But, you know, by the same token, they're demanding change. They're looking for ways to make a positive impact. Subban was talking about how so much of um, the anti-racism Foundations are really built in community efforts and building those bridges, and I think that is an incredibly important thing. You know, having been around Baltimore for many years and kind of seen some of some of the similar grassroots efforts and how it's really difficult to untangle some of the webs of racism that involve just about every uh, aspect of a community. It's it's very difficult to deal with, but you have to start from the ground up. You have to start with the people themselves and and kind of work up through institutions as well. I, again, highly encourage you to read Suban's comments because I think he had a very interesting perspective that you don't often hear, and it's kind of, you know, him acknowledging that it's, it's a serious problem, but also talking about how constantly those of color have had this mindset of soldiering through and working towards their ultimate goal and not letting it derail their dreams. And more importantly, how that experience can help shape What they do to help be part of the change. I think that's one of the biggest things and hopefully, you know, there are other hockey players that read this, understand just how bad it is, and really step up to the plate because it's ultimately up to the non-minority white players to do something about this. This is part of hockey's culture. It's been embedded for years and, it, you know, it's just one of many problems, but this cannot continue and I think it's put a big spotlight on the issue as a whole. Obviously, it's just a couple of incidents in two different pro leagues, but these are two of the highest levels of hockey that you can aspire to, and yet we're still seeing this happen. It's extremely troubling to me that, you know, years on, we're still dealing with this time and time again, but it's it's not really surprising because it continues to be, ultimately, the, the tale of North American sports, and, you know, hockey is no different. The NHL and a lot of the other pro leagues really need to step up and start organizing to help fight this because, ultimately, you know, I feel like a lot of players aren't really willing to step up and say something immediately. You know, you might see a statement afterwards, but it it takes a lot to actually get to that point. Whatever happens, though, we ultimately have to stand against racism in any form and support those who are actively trying to resist it. My DMs are always open if you want to discuss this further, either at HRLivingLoco or at LO underscore Jets on Twitter. I apologize for kind of kicking this off with a pretty heavy subject, but obviously I think for me it's very important, and you know, for the hockey community at large, it should be a matter of critical importance as well. For the remainder of this show, though, I did want to talk about how the Jets did over the weekend and, and talk a little bit about some of their performances, especially against Pittsburgh, and what it might mean for the rest of the season. But before then, I wanted to tell you a little bit about BetOnline.ag and why they should be your first choice for all of your online betting needs during this holiday season. BetOnline has you covered all season for more props, odds, and lines than ever before as football season continues the march to the playoffs. Not into football? No problem, because BetOnline has you covered for all of the other sports action you could possibly want. It should be your number one destination for all your online betting needs. Head to their new, updated desktop or mobile website to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your very first deposit. Just use promo code LOCKEDON to receive your bonus. From basketball, football, NHL, boxing, and UFC, right to your favorite Vegas casino games, don't wait to take advantage of all the amazing offers available for the 2021 season. Whether you want to place some bets on a Baltimore Ravens game, or you're more interested in who might be your standout scorer from the next Winnipeg Jets outing, BetOnline should be the only place you place your online bets on that next hotly anticipated game. They're the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your favorite sports action, so don't hesitate to sign up today for a free account, and be sure to use promo code LOCKEDON to receive that 50% welcome bonus on your very first deposit bet online where the game starts. Hello friends and welcome back to this episode of the Locked On Winnipeg Jets podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Thanks for making Locked On Jets your first listen of the day every day. We are now moving on to talking about Winnipeg's game versus the Pittsburgh Penguins over this past weekend. Obviously, we had a doubleheader uh and on our previous episode we talked about the game against the Bruins on Saturday. Uh, That one didn't go so well, so I wasn't really expecting a lot from Sunday's game against the Pittsburgh Penguins. The Pens, in my opinion, are one of the more underrated squads out there, which is sort of funny because this is a team that's won a couple of titles and is honestly just a juggernaut every year. Injuries and stuff, though, have kind of curtailed some of the shine of this team, and yet when they play and you watch them and how dynamic they are, uh, you know, it's, it's kind of crazy to see them make a couple of mistakes. It's a pretty infrequent occurrence, but this year it's been a little bit more turbulent, I think because of the personnel changes and just the general chaos of the season. Even then, though, this Penns team remains one of the most dangerous Eastern Conference squads out there. They play a very rapid vertical counter game. They've got great passing and distribution once they get a perimeter cycle going, and they're also great at attacking the slot, which is not something the Jets defend all that well. So, in a lot of ways, I was like, oh, This matchup could be really rough for the Jets, you know. This Penns team is faster, stronger, uh, and more skilled in my mind than the Bruins team. What kind of caught me off guard was just how decently the Jets played for the most part. Uh, Winnipeg was fast. I thought that their forechecking looked pretty good. Defensively, it was a mess. You know, it is to be expected. Hellebuck had to face multiple uh, odd man situations. But, you know, by the same token, the Jets also had like four or five three-on-ones. I think the most disappointing thing is that they didn't really capitalize on any of them. You know, it's 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 a little bit crazy because as, as well as the Jets might have played in a lot of areas, there was a, a lack of attention to detail that ultimately cost them. Now, they did get a point out of this game, but they did lose in overtime. And so I, I look at this and there are some interesting takeaways. So the first thing was Buck was dialed in. This was like a goaltending battle all the way through because neither team was really defending off the rush. In fact, I honestly think this felt like 30 to 40 minutes of overtime hockey. That's how I would describe it. And, you know, it was breathless. It was fast. Tristan Jari was absolutely brilliant at the other end. Connor Hellebuck had to repeatedly bail out the Jets time and time again. And yet, you know, this lineup that was maybe not as good as it could be, uh, I I thought it handled itself pretty well. Blake Wheeler actually looked pretty good in his second game back. He scored a goal. It was a nice tip um, and and a a really great backhand effort. But, you know, as far as the rest of the lineup is concerned, that depth unit is really getting killed. And I feel like there were some decisions with who actually started that kind of, for me, just weren't it. You know, Heinle didn't get to suit up because, for some reason, they're very afraid to waive Nathan Bolu. And to avoid, like, any cap issues, they just kept Heinola on the taxi squad instead. Which, for me, I don't really understand. Boliu, at a stretch, could get claimed if a team is, like, super desperate. But I can't imagine there are all that many squads out there that really need a guy of his uh, position and role. I-, I don't really feel like people are clamoring for a 7th or 8th defender off the waiver wire. And so, you know... <sighs> Not having Heinle in for me was a bit frustrating. Vili is, is starting to get to the point where the Jets are going to have to make a decision on his future. He can't just keep riding the taxi squad or getting press boxed all the time because he's just going to rot and all of his development is going to hit a screeching halt. The other thing that was a little bit puzzling for me is why Evgeny Svechnikov was a healthy scratch. I know that some people are like, well, he's you know he's not that great and he's not as good as you say he is, but he's one of the better defenders at forward on this team and his overall impact on the game is generally pretty positive. He's not like a high-end elite forward, but if you're looking for somebody who's a really good play facilitator and somebody who's got pretty good attention to detail, especially when he's trying to force turnovers and execute defensive actions, you've got a pretty ideal middle six player in him, and I feel like him getting benched for players like Harkins, Pagansky, etc., just a bit strange. Um, And so I'm kind of looking at this team, and I just feel like my overall prognosis is that the Jets need to start consider selling. I've mentioned it before, but I think after this past road trip in which they only got like two of eight points in their last four games, I just don't have a lot of confidence in this team. And the effort against Pittsburgh, while I did actually appreciate it and I thought it was a pretty solid game for the most part, it wasn't really enough to actually get both points. And so for me, the Jets are kind of in a tough spot. You know, the squad is still pretty decent, but it lacks that next-level leadership, it lacks the killer instinct, and it's just not deep enough to go toe-to-toe with some of these really good teams once they reach the playoffs. In a little bit, I'll talk about reasons for optimism post-road trip and maybe what February might hold, and then some reasons where the Jets might need to consider, maybe this is the time to start blowing it up. Hello, friends, and welcome back to this episode of the Locked On Winnipeg Jets podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. We are closing out tonight's episode with some thoughts from the past couple of games, and you know, I've talked a couple of times throughout the season the direction of the Jets, but you know, I think we're starting to get more clarity on where this team is heading. And I gotta be honest, it's not great in my mind. I think, in a lot of ways, especially with lineup decisions and stuff we're kind of seeing very similar patterns to what we saw with Paul Maurice. It's not exactly one-to-one. There are some notable differences, but I don't know that it's necessarily changes for the better. Uh, So what is positive is that the team is more offensively aggressive, and I have noticed a marginal improvement in the PK. I feel like it's more aggressive. It seemingly pressures in the right way. It's been generating some shorthanded chances, which, you know, if your PK is going to be leaky as the Jets are, you might as well try and go for shorties, and in many ways, all of that aggression has actually paid off. You know, when the Jets are attacking the slot and stuff, Winnipeg can be pretty decent, and I think they showed off some great stuff against the Penguins in a couple of notable stretches. I also felt like the end-to-end counters were actually pretty decent for Winnipeg in that game, but in previous outings, the Jets didn't have as much success. Uh, They played a couple of really good periods against teams like Washington and Boston, but I hate to say this, but the reality is most of those teams aren't nearly as good as they were in years past. So, for the Jets to be competitive but still lose, I don't think is a ringing endorsement of the performance of the team. I think it means the Jets are solid, uh, and maybe even okay at times, but when you're looking at it from a more holistic perspective, it's not like you're saying the Jets are a real contender. This team kind of feels exactly where it is in the standings, which is... Not quite good enough for the playoffs, but decent enough to at least be a bit of a pest, and that's kind of that's kind of where I'm at with this team, uh, you know. And and you might ask, well, what are the downsides of what's happening right now? And so, the first thing that I think is is a bit of an issue, is that when it comes to defensive coverage and organization, the Jets really have none. They rely very much on individual talent to kind of take over, but. I feel like the lack of organization, uh, the miscommunication, the missed assignments, all of this is a pretty poor look and it's especially noticeable when teams start countering and the Jets don't really have any idea where the counter is going to be coming from. You'll often see skaters in the DZ just kind of standing around and watching play, which is not really how you should be defending. You should be looking to actively break out the other way and create offense out of a good turnover, but the Jets are a little bit too passive for my taste. They also seem to change assignments a lot, and I think that confusion has really made it difficult for a lot of the skaters to kind of be on the same page, and so you'll often see just guys completely losing their markings, which they were already doing under Maurice, but now it's even more chaotic and confused. The other thing that I'm not really a fan of is some of the lineup choices for me feel like they're picking out certain skill sets that they value, and I'm not really sure those are nearly as important to winning as they think they are. You know, as cool as it is for Beaulieu to stand up for his teammates, unfortunately, his net impact on the ice isn't really positive enough to justify having him over Heinle. People will say, well, Heinle, you know, he he makes mistakes, he he makes turnovers, and that is true. I mean, everyone does, though. That's That's kind of the thing you have to think about is, every single defender on the Jets will make mistakes. Some of them make a lot more. And if you can compensate for that with really good puck movement and offensive ability so that you're at least generating offense at the other end, you can kind of at least account for some of your shortcomings. But for too many of the Jets defenders, that's not really the case. And Beaulieu is very much, in my mind, like a textbook example of this. I've also noticed the team making line adjustments in the middle of the game, and the line combos that they come up with don't often really make that much sense for the situations they're being used in, for the chemistry of the players, and ultimately the the kind of offensive and defensive fits for each uh, trio, I would say. You need to have guys who are kind of a good balance of skill sets and also providing something that maybe one of the other skaters doesn't have, so that way you're not just throwing out Cole Perfetti for a defensive shift with Adam Lowry or something, because what will that honestly accomplish? As good as Cole looks to be defensively, I don't really feel like having him play the line of like a third line grinder really benefits the team because then it means one less shift that he's going to have with the top six. It's not like these combos generate a lot of great results either, it just seems like you know, more often than not, they're confused. They're not really on the same page. And even if they have practice together, it's clearly not enough to establish, like, a, a long sense of familiarity. So, you know, with this team, I kind of feel like the best decision is just to be soft sellers. You know, you don't have to blow it all up completely, but jettison some of the expiring contracts, move out some salary, get ready to retool in the offseason, because this team has a lot of work to do. I mean, it's, it's a fun team at times. But where the Jets are right now, they're not really playoff ready. This, of course, is just my read on the situation, but I'd love to hear what you think of the team. Be sure to let me know at HLivingLoco and at LO Winnipeg Jets on Twitter. We'll have some recaps tomorrow on how the Jets have done against the Florida Panthers, which should be a very difficult challenge and maybe a very exciting game. But for tonight's episode, that will do it. Thanks for making Lockdown Jets your first listen of the day every day. Now make your second list in Locked on Bets, your daily one-stop shop for all of your gambling needs. Locked on Bets, hosted by your boy Q with expert analysis and insight from Lee Sterling. It's free and available on all your favorite platforms, so be sure to like, follow, and subscribe today. And as always, thank you for listening, have a great night, and go Jets go!